Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Well, good morning, beloved. Good morning. Excellent. You're getting more and more Baptist as the week goes on. Well, I hope you will come back tonight to hear these two brothers uh, share about the work of the Lord uh, in their respective ministries and parts of the world. Uh, I'm, I'm eager to come back and to hear tonight and uh, to share with them as they, as they share with us and uh, trust all of you are too. This is uh, apparently the morning for former Muslims with difficult names. Yeah, that would be, be my story as well. And so praise God. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. For using the Bibles in the pew, you'll find it on page 975. Would you have a word of prayer with me? Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would speak to us from your word this morning. That Holy Spirit, you would enlighten our minds and our hearts. And give us fresh glimpses of Christ our Savior. And looking upon him, may we adore him. In adoring him, may we walk closely with him. Show us Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, perhaps one of the best known passages of Scripture is the passage I want us to look at this morning, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, where the Spirit of God leads the Son of God into the wilderness to be tempted there by the adversary. This passage of Scripture has, has everything in it, doesn't it? It has, it has drama and suspense it has conflict on a cosmic scale. You can almost imagine that all of heaven's angels and all of, all of hell's demons are leaning forward, peering into this moment, into this engagement between Christ our Lord and Satan. And most often when we hear Matthew 4 preached, we we hear it preached as an example of how to overcome temptation, and surely there's a lot here for us to learn about that. It teaches us how to resist temptation, but, but something more. I, I wish for us to see two things this morning. We want to see something more of Christ and who he is for us, and we want to see how Christ read his Bible, particularly in the instance of satanic attack and temptation. So yesterday we began with Luke 24 and we saw something really of Jesus' theology of the scripture. Well, this morning in, in Matthew chapter 4, we, we want to see something of, of Jesus' devotion, his devotional life to the Father as, it, as it's worked out in his, in his use of the scripture. If you're taking notes, I want to sort of have us observe really one thing here, that, that Jesus reads its Bible in a God-centered way. He reads its Bible in a God-centered way. 
And to flesh that out, I want us to observe three things, and then I want us to sort of apply it to ourselves in three ways. But first, let's read the scripture. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. It's a fascinating passage, isn't it? It's a dramatic scene. And notice here that Satan comes to Jesus with three temptations. And in the first temptation, he, he tempts Jesus, as you well know, to turn the stones into bread. But, but notice now, the first thing we learn about how Jesus reads his Bible, first of all, Jesus hangs on every word of God. He hangs on every word of God. Notice what he says there in verse 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The words of God's mouth are the bread of Jesus' life. Every word, not a few words, Not the words that are particularly easy to accept. Not the words that that are necessarily popular, but every word. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells us that that not one jot or tittle, right, will pass away until until it is all fulfilled. He seems to have that attitude here as he approaches the word, that, that every word is his bread. It is his sustenance. He hangs upon it. And he reads the Bible such that every pronouncement the Father makes becomes his will. He lives to do the Father's will. The knowledge of that will begins with the knowledge of God's word. Hanging on it. Anticipating it. Supping from it. Being satisfied with it. He understood that the words on the scroll were words that came from the mouth of God. Now think about that for a moment. It's not as if he's writing or reading 
the actual writings the, of, of Moses, writings written by Moses' own hand, or the writings of Isaiah or Hosea or, or any of the prophets. It's not as though he has the original scroll, the original parchment or manuscript. He is, as it were, reading from scrolls that had been written down and transcribed for centuries. Copies of copies of copies. And yet, the very scroll that he reads from, the very Bible that he opens, he understands not merely to be the the transcription of men, the passing down of of copies. He he understands that the, the very breath of God is emanating from those pages, from those words, that the vox dei, the voice of God, is here in print. And so it is with us in our Bibles. We live in a day where publishers give us all kinds of translations and we can get them in various colors and even get our names, you know, embossed on the front. We, we, Bibles are almost a custom industry, aren't they? And yet, it is the living, breathing word of God. He speaks to us in his word. The Bible, if we open it, speaks. There God speaks. We hear his voice. And if we read it like our Savior, we hang upon every word. What an extraordinary thing that heaven would speak to us. This is no ordinary book. Of all the books that have ever been written and printed, This stands above them all. For God speaks here. Jesus hangs on every word of God. He's devoted to the word. But notice secondly, that Jesus read the word in order to trust God and not test God. You might notice that in verse 4, Jesus is the first one to quote the scripture. Satan comes to him with a temptation in verses 2 and 3 and and, and doesn't mention the scripture himself, but Christ then quotes the scripture in verse 4. Now notice what happens in verses 5 down to 6. Satan comes with the second temptation, and he seems to double down on Jesus. Jesus quoted one verse in verse 4. Now Satan comes with two. And he twists the scripture ever so slightly to tempt our Lord. Attempt our Lord to test God, to throw himself down from the pinnacle of the temple and to to take promises of the angel's care and and to, as it were, distort them for some foolish trickery. Notice how our Lord responds in verse 7. Again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. It's interesting that when Jesus reads the scriptures, When he quotes from the scriptures, he finds there reason to trust God, not test God. He reads the Bible believing in the goodness of God. He reads the Bible believing in the the mercy of God, the kindness of God, the justice of God, the trustworthiness of God. He believes this word and he trusts this word because he believes and trusts and knows the, the Father's heart who spoke this word. That he is good. That he is to be relied upon, not tested. Not not sort of 
put in the dark. Not this word isn't to be in an unbelieving way dissected and ransacked and scrutinized and questioned. Oh, it is true. We have questions from the scriptures. Some of the scriptures prompts questions for us, and, and, and we have to do more study and more research and to, and to talk with a pastor or a Christian friend and, and get some help sometimes to understand the scriptures. Even the apostles, the apostle Peter would say, in Paul's writings, there are some things that are difficult to understand. We wouldn't have it any other way. For if we were to understand all that God had said, we would in some way be wiser than God, wouldn't we? So he speaks to us sometimes things that surpass understanding. He speaks to us of his love, for example, which surpasses understanding. And we are meant to know his love and to rely upon it. And we are meant to know his word and to rely upon his word. To, as it were, rest our hopes in deep trust on what thus saith the Lord. Not upon the ideas of men and the corruptions of men. See, facing Satan's temptation, Jesus knew there's a significant difference between trusting God and testing God. A trusting reading humbles itself under the word of God, as James puts it. A testing reading humbles the word under our desires and our intellect and our fancies. Jesus never sought to stand above God's word, always below it, always in obedience to it, gladly. He lived to do the Father's will. He trusted the Father as the word of God called him to do. It's a good way to read our Bibles with a heart inclined to trust the God that we find there. Notice the third thing. Jesus not only hangs on every word and he not only reads in order to trust God, but notice devotionally also, Jesus read the word to clarify that God alone is God. And is to be worshipped. You notice that third temptation where Satan shows him all the cities and kingdoms of the world and promises to give them to Jesus. And Jesus says in verse 10, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Here's the amazing thing, beloved. It's, it's possible to hear God's word while listening to our idols. It's possible to hear God's word while listening to and serving idols. Isn't that what Satan is proposing here as he, as he quoted the scripture again to Jesus and then asked Jesus to worship him? But not our Lord. He reads the Bible as an act of worship. He found in the Bible reason to offer himself up to God, to prostrate himself before God, to, to serve God alone. No rivals, no counterfeits, no idols, no exceptions. He, he purposed to serve only the Father. And his reading in the Word 
caused him to bow in worship. And this is why the devil has to leave him in verse 11. He, there was nothing in Christ that could be satanically used to, to draw him away from the true worship of the Father in order to, to trust anyone or, or anything else. All the terrible temptations of hell could find no root in the holy heart of the Son of Heaven. Well, why? Well, it's in part because of his devotion to God's Word and therefore his devotion to the Father. He's utterly God-centered in, in, reading this, in reading the Scriptures. Until recently, I don't think I ever recognized just how God-focused Jesus was in this passage. In verse 4, the Lord's ears were glued to God's mouth. Verse 7, his hopes rested on God's heart. Verse 10, his service belonged to God's throne. Each time the Lord applied the scripture, he actually applied himself to God. He yielded himself up again to the Father. And of course, as we are watching this, we are, we're watching what the writer of Hebrews later concludes, aren't we? That he was tempted in every way as we were, yet without sin. We watch this drama in the wilderness where Satan tempts the Savior. And what we're seeing is the, is the very act of Christ fulfilling all righteousness. Becoming righteousness for us. Accomplishing a victory over our enemy for us. So that when he offers himself as the Lamb of God, he offers himself without spot and without blemish. He offers himself as a perfect sacrifice. Both our righteousness and our atonement. Our victor over Satan and sin and death and the grave. Notice that in this scene, uh, all of the, the world and the flesh and the devil are arrayed against Christ. We're told around verse 2 or verse 3 that he was hungry. His, his flesh was in need. And, and wouldn't that be the time that the tempter would arrive on the scene? And, and the tempter offers him, offers him all of the world, all of the kingdoms of the world, all of the pride of the world. And there is Satan himself, subtle and crafty, appealing even with the use of God's holy word, slightly twisted, appealing to demonic ends. And behold Jesus, the perfect one. The Son of God. Not swayed. Not allured. Sharing our humanity. Feeling our weakness and hunger. But fed to the full with the word of God. Glued to God's word. Given to God's word. Becoming for us our great Savior. And how does this apply then to our reading of the scripture? Three things to suggest. And I trust you know, beloved, that as we go through these five days, I'll make a lot of suggestions. And I trust you know, to, as we would say in the Caribbean, chew the fish and spit out the bones. You know, the bits that are yours, take them. The others that aren't, leave them. You know, 
It's not as if we want to leave this week with 25 ways to read our Bible better and just be lumbered under guilt again. No, we want to go spurred on by grace and spurred on by the Spirit to maybe apply one or two things that, that serve us in the weeks and months ahead and, and maybe months later pick up one or two other things that might be helpful. So here, three suggestions to take or leave. <laughs> Number one, oh, I need to learn to hang on every word of God. I do. How often, how often do I find myself debating with my own flesh and my own heart, trying to push back the dullness of mine, the sleepiness, the weariness, the distractions. How often I have to alert myself again. Thabiti, God is speaking here in this word. Don't, don't come to it dry. Don't come to it cold. Don't come to it without prayer. Don't, don't come to it with your mind somewhere else. Fight to bring captive every thought to this word. Hang upon it. Heaven is speaking. I wonder if any of you have that, that struggle. Any of you have that debate. For we're, we're not yet glorified. Though Jesus is an example and a model for us here, we're not, we're not Jesus, are we? And so we have to be reminded of the sufficiency of God's grace and, and we have to do things that, that awaken the heart and stir us and make us alive and, in fresh ways to the, to the word of God. We, we need to be reminded that God speaks and, and then we need to heed what he speaks. How many of you have ever read the Bible with a kind of I've read this before attitude or I know this story attitude it's a sneaky little attitude isn't it that, that familiarity that, that creeps into our devotional life and so it's work to come again to the scripture and to read it again for the first time and it helps me to be reminded God is still speaking in this word and to remind myself of the many times I've read a passage and seen new things I didn't know that was there. It had been there all along. What's the difference? The enlivening work of the Holy Spirit taking the same word and applying it and giving us fresh and deeper understanding. We should seek that and pray for that and ask for that. That the Spirit by His grace would, would do that as we, as we read the word. We should pray, Holy Spirit, let this next word be life to me. Let me feed on it like bread. Let me hear it as a word straight from the mouth of God. Let me receive it for what it really is. The word of God. Secondly, I, I need to realize how critical God's word is to my sanctification. It'll help me to read my Bible better. See, Jesus lives it's an active word there. He lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. His reading translates into his living. And that was critical in the hour of his temptation. It's critical in the hour of our temptation too, isn't it? You know, it's mighty difficult to develop character in a pinch. <laughs> yeah. You want to be developing, we want to be developing godliness before the pinch comes. Before the trial comes, 
And, and we want to be sanctified as, as, our, as our Lord prays for us in the high priestly prayer of John 17. We want to be sanctified by the truth. Now what does he say there? Thy word is truth. This reading of God's word, it consecrates us. It, it sets us apart. It, it establishes us as holy and it, and it, and it progresses us. It, it moves us forward in our sanctification, in our, in our conformity to the, to the likeness of Christ. As we imbibe this word and apply this word, something quite phenomenal happens. We begin to look ever so much more like Jesus. We participate all the more in his character and likeness and nature. And do we want to be like Jesus? We want to share in his glory, in his character. Then we would be sanctified by the truth, by the word of God. And we would, as he does in this chapter, in this section of the chapter, have this threefold strategy of hiding God's word in our hearts so that we can live by it. And number two, trusting God implicitly so that we don't take matters into our own hands. And and number three, that we would worship the Lord God alone so that we could refuse all idolatry. That's what we see unfolded here. And that's what we would want the word to do in our lives is to sanctify us, to set us apart, to conform us by degrees to the likeness of Christ. What's what's remarkable about this is that it often happens unawares. It it often happens that the word works its way into our heart and begins to work its way into our lives, not when we are always self-conscious of it, But often when we're not looking, God loves to do things behind our backs. (laughs) It's one of the ways he keeps us reminded that he's God and we're not. And oftentimes the very very grace of God is is emanating from our lives and and we don't know it. You remember what our Lord says, I believe later in Matthew's gospel, when he talks about those who had fed the hungry and clothed the naked and visit those who were in prison and he spoke of a reward for them. You remember what they asked him? Lord, when, when, did you, when did we do this? They were unaware of it. It says, when you did it to the least of these. Oh, beloved, it, it, the same is true in the reading of God's word. We read God's word, we feed upon it, we live upon it, and, and he begins to mold us like the potter who molds the clay and to shape us, and to shape us in ways that we don't often recognize. And, 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 and fruit is born, fruit that remains, fruit that, that multiplies, and, 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 and fruit that, that brings praise and glory to God and, and changes our life and, and blesses our brothers and sisters in the church. And that fruitiness is conformity to Christ. And he does it quietly and steadily through his word. If we would be like Christ, we would be readers of the scripture. And number three, this text also teaches us that, that we must give careful attention to proper interpretation. Have you ever noticed that Jesus was, as I said earlier in this passage, he was the first one to quote the scripture in verse four. Then follows Satan 
with the twisting of God's word. Think about the, think about the hubris, think about the pride of Satan, that, that he would actually, with the Son of God, attempt to twist the scripture and tempt the Son of God. If he believes he could do that with Jesus, certainly he thinks he could do that with us. And certainly he has, I fear, with too many. With so many fallen angels masquerading as angels of light. With so many false teachers on so many popular television stations twisting the word of God. Making promises that, that sound a whole lot like the promise that Satan makes when he, when he takes Jesus up and shows him the whole world and its kingdoms and said, I will, I will give this to you. Telling us that there are, are gospels wherein God has promised us all the health, wealth, and prosperity that, that we would ask him of. All we need to do is demand it of him. Hear the hiss in that teaching. No, we, we want to be Careful with God's word. If this is God's word, we we want to handle it as precious. We we want to be as careful with it as a as a Ming Dynasty vase. We, we we want to hold it as safely and securely as a a newborn babe. We 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 want very much to come to God's word. To rightly divide it. Line upon line. Precept upon precept. We want to understand it well. That we might embrace it rightly. When we endeavor to live by the word of God. We we will face the temptation of. Rejecting the hard parts. And in those moments, we need to realize it's not necessarily that we disagree with God's word, but God's word may be disagreeing with us. And we bristle. And we draw back. If we're not careful, we can gnash our teeth. And we can skip over that part or reject that part. But no, we want to be humbled beneath God's word. To understand that the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. But good, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. And he yokes himself to us as we submit ourselves to his word. Rightly understood, rightly applied. This is why also, beloved, nothing is more vital. Nothing is more vital than as God's people, we sit under godly, faithful teachers of his word. It is life to a congregation. It is life to a Christian. It is essential that the person who stands in the pulpit and declares, thus saith the Lord, actually declares what thus saith the Lord. Does so faithfully and boldly. Does so like a shepherd in gentleness. And by the preaching of the word, we learn to read our Bibles and to embrace what's there. And we grow thereby. Nothing could be more vital. So, we want to learn to read the Bible like Jesus. And here we see him reading it in a devotional way. Reading it in a way that that demonstrates that he lives by the word of God. He hangs upon every word that God speaks. Reading it in such a way that he is enabled to trust God rather than test God in the hour of temptation. 
Read it in such a way that he, he clarifies that he is to worship the one and only true and living God and to disdain all idols. We read the Bible this way. We will be progressing in Christ. We will be growing in grace. And we will be conformed to his glory. After all, when we read our Bibles, we hear him promise, he who began a good work in us will carry it on until completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, indeed, we thank you for that promise. That having begun a good work in us, you will complete it. That you will indeed conform us to every glorious thing in Christ. That we will share in him and we do share in him. And, and when he comes and we will see him, seeing him, we will be like him. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself. And so we pray that you would purify us by your word. That you would consecrate us. That you would teach us to read your word. And, and that Lord we would hang upon your word, every word that we would live by it and that as we live by it Lord you would perfect our praise and our worship of you for indeed Lord we would only bow to you the one who has loved us from before the foundation of the world and has saved us through the sacrifice of his son you and you alone are God and there is no other and we praise you and then once again we offer ourselves to you And we ask that you would glorify yourself in us. In Jesus' name, amen. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.